Hi, I'm Rebecca. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Allie, and you're listening to Desk Chair Detectives. Hello. Hello. Hi. Allie, you ready? Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I, full disclosure, finished this really late the other night, so <laughs> the end might just not make sense. That's okay. We'll piece it together. Yeah. Okay. I mean, are you guys ready? I'm ready. I don't know if I am. <laughs> I've been, you know, I don't, like obviously I always like to listen to like murder podcasts and stuff, but like this week I've been like extra murdery. Oh, like who I'm are you just, angry with? <laughs> who hurt you? I don't have enough time for that. No. <laughs> I've just been in the mood for like, um, like a spooky story. Oh, well. I have a spooky story. I actually was like working on it. I think I finished it like late last night. I only had like the conclusion to finish. I was like, I'm just going to stay up late and finish it. And it was like that crazy weather. So it was like downpouring. Yeah. And I only had like my Christmas lights on <laughs> and Christmas lights. It's, it's February, February, <laughs> but, um, but I like scared myself. I went to bed. It was, and I was laying in bed awake, like wide awake till like 2 a.m. that's the worst yeah so spooky I can't wait okay so this is not the case I was talking about talking about okay you're allowed to change your mind every week (laughs) yeah she hypes hypes up a case that we're gonna be like so pumped for it and then she's like just kidding I didn't do that one I know (laughs) because usually what happens is when I say oh I'm gonna do this case I start looking it up and then I can't find enough information to take up this entire time. So, (laughs) and then I find something better and easier. (laughs) Um, I did the other one. I think I'm still going to do eventually, but this one I decided to do because there was a break in the case (gasps) very recently and it's been in the news. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. I'm, yeah, redo, redo. <laughs> Again. Um, I feel like you guys have heard of it because I've definitely heard, I think other one other podcast episode that I know of. And because it was literally just in the news last week. Do you guys have any idea or no? No clue. I don't know either. Uh... The only thing I can think of is Delphi. No. Oh. So I'm going to tell you about the Durham family murders. Do I know this one? I think once you hear the circumstances, you'll be like, oh, yeah, but it's not like a super well-known case like the alphabet. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Let's 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 get it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So. On February 3rd, 1972, Bryce Durham, owner of the local Buick dealership, was just leaving a rotary meeting after picking up his wife, Virginia, and son, Bobby, at the car lot. Sorry, my dog just left my foot. It scared me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Durham family have been living in Boone, North Carolina for about a year and a half now after moving their family to pursue Bryce's dream of running his own car dealership. I also read, and I can't remember if I put this in here at this point, but 
her parents lived there. So I'm sure that was like another reason why they moved back to the area. That night, a huge snowstorm would cause a significant impact on Boone, but that's not the only thing that would rock this small town. When you said snow, I feel like something clicked and I I know this one now. I feel like parts of it. Yeah, you definitely know, because that's what clicked with me. I just saw the update and I was like, oh, I've never heard of this. And then I started reading about the circumstance and I was like, oh, I remember. (laughs) So the snow began to fall around 3 p.m. that day. The conditions were so rough that snow was reportedly blasting at 40 miles per hour in some areas. The conditions were so bad that when Bryce left his rotary meeting, a fellow member drove behind him to make sure he got back to his car dealership okay. Virginia had been working late at the dealership, so Bryce was running by to meet her. The guy that followed him estimated that they arrived at the dealership around 8.30 p.m. Okay. It's believed that the parents asked Bobby to meet them at the dealership after his classes at Appalachian State University so they could ride home safely together in like the rough weather. Bryce ended up borrowing a vehicle with four-wheel drive from the dealership that night to get his family home and neighbors reported seeing the car go up the hill towards their house around 9 p.m. Okay. Okay. I'm following. Mm -hmm. It still hasn't clicked for me yet. I'm like waiting for the thing that like I think it's the crime scene. That's what clicked for me. Um, So that same evening, Troy Hall got a distressing phone call. At first, he didn't recognize the voice on the other end because they were talking in such hushed tones that it was hard to hear. Eventually, the caller identified herself as his mother-in-law, Virginia Durham. Troy was married to Bryce and Virginia's daughter, Jenny. Virginia would go on to tell Troy that her, her husband, and son were being held captive by three Black men in another room of their split-level home. After telling Troy that Bryce and Bobby were being beaten by these men, while she was on the phone, the call was cut off. Wait, I would just called? like to say this is not the case that I thought it was. No, <laughs> I have no clue. Wait, Wait go back. Who who called? Go back. Who? Go back. Who called who? I'm confused. So, Virginia, the, the mom, mom, the mom called Troy, who is um, her son-in-law. son-in-law. Troy's married to her daughter, Grace, and Virginia's daughter. Jenny, Jenny. yeah Mm -hmm. that's because Jenny is a nickname for Virginia so I was like wait does the mom and the daughter have the same that's why I was getting confused maybe but yeah that I mean maybe that's her full name and she just goes by Jenny could be be. it's spelled that way it's spelled g-i-n-n-y so Mm. might be I think more women should name their daughters after themselves I I mean my aunt named her daughter after her so I mean that was pretty nice shout out again to my mom thanks for not naming me linda but (laughs) (laughs) oh my god okay so everyone's all on the same page now we're good yes yeah yeah. okay okay men beating there's men beating the brother or the son and the dad she's talking phone cuts out right and full disclosure there are of like a good amount of names in this one so let me know if you do get confused again because it is confusing (laughs) i'll get a chart with like string and (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. like that picture of like was that charlie Charlie, yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so the phone call was cut off troy tried to call back he only got a busy signal 
so this is where I was like confused I mean I guess it makes sense at first Troy thought it was like a prank call I guess he didn't believe that it was really his mother-in-law and that's why he was thinking it was a prank call because when I first read that I was like why would his mother-in-law prank him like that yeah and like or maybe like you don't it doesn't register like something like that could actually be happening yeah so I don't know if he he probably maybe he thought it was like someone else pranking them yeah and didn't think it was his mother-in-law that's the logic I would think because if it were like my boyfriend's mom I'd be like I need to call the police yeah (laughs) yeah um after he thought it over and talked to his wife they decided to go check on the family despite the intense storm since they lived close by in in a mobile home his car wasn't working well so Troy went to his neighbor Cecil Small for help Cecil, who just happened to be a private detective, was able to drive the couple over to their in-laws home. Wow, what luck, huh? Yeah. So the hill that I talked about them going up, it was too difficult for Cecil's car to make up the hill in the weather. So the two men decided to hike up the hill on foot and Ginny stayed behind in the car. As Troy and Cecil made their way up to the house, they made a startling discovery. The group, although the group made it to the home within 30 minutes of Virginia's phone call, it proved to be too little too late. The home was found in a state of disarray. All the lights were on, drawers were pulled out, and their contents were thrown everywhere. Pictures and stools were stacked up on the couch, and there was also blood spatter found on the walls. Upon entering the house further, Troy and Cecil found the bodies of the Durham family. Bryce, who was 51, Virginia, who was 46, and their son, Bobby, who was 18 at the time, were found deceased in the bathroom. Their hands had been bound behind their backs, they were fully dressed, and their heads had been submerged in an overflowing bathtub. Something about, like, being killed in a bathroom really freaks me out, because it's just, well, one, if I'm going to the bathroom, you're in a vulnerable state, right? (laughs) I'm not yes. saying that they were like going to the bathroom, whatever, but like yeah. it's just so small, and like you would have to be so close to like yeah. the intruders. Yeah. yeah, I'm like not saying I thought about it, but like I feel like if you kill somebody in the bathroom, it's a lot easier to clean up because everything is like waterproof, slick, and, yeah, and, and like a style. slick surface and everything. Like right. easy to clean up with like bleach and all. Yeah, of it's that. like a confined space. It's not yeah. gonna be everywhere. Okay, Rebecca. <laughs> that's why I made the disclaimer it's not like I thought about it I haven't thought about it at all but if I was gonna kill someone <laughs> but also uh, like these people left the whole family there so it's not like they yeah. wanted to do a quick quick cleanup so yeah, it was probably exactly. just for the confined space yeah. and keeping them all yeah. together mm-hmm. I, anyway sorry <laughs> <laughs> noted Rebecca noted. <laughs> um So an autopsy would also later reveal that Virginia died of strangulation while while Bryce and Bobby had been strangled and then drowned. Bryce still had the cord tied loosely around his neck. It also appeared as though Virginia's face had been beaten and Bryce suffered some blunt force trauma to his head, which would explain like the blood on the wall. Yeah. So frantic, Troy and Cecil ran to a neighbor's house and called the police. The dispatcher on duty said that he could barely understand Troy's pleas for help because like that's how overwhelmed and upset he was. Yeah. A little after 11 p.m., the police department converged on the scene 
it would later be remarked that there was so many officers there that it could have been compromised. Yikes. Yeah. Um, but that's like, if you think about it, like they were home by nine o'clock and had this all happened within two hours. That's crazy. Yeah. So upon further investigation into the home, police started noticing more details. The TV was left on and there were three sodas and a partially eaten baked chicken on the kitchen table. This led police to believe that they were caught off guard enjoying a night snowed in together while watching primetime television. So they were having like dinner and just like hanging out. Like riding out the storm. If my last meal is baked chicken, I will be so (laughs) upset. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Of all the things you could have had. Right. Baked chicken is probably the most boring food to exist. I know. That's what I was like thinking. I was like, was it dinner? I mean, it was pretty late. So I don't know if they they were just... And if they had been working all day, it might have just been like whatever they had, you know? Yeah, it could have been leftovers. Um, how you know how casual it was? They were just having baked chicken and some sodas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, upset. You know, my favorite, uh, favorite favorite thing to do is bring home a rotisserie chicken and just eat it with a can <laughs> of soda on the couch. I mean, it's probably healthier than a lot of other things I could eat. Yeah, I probably should. I probably <laughs> should be doing. That. <laughs> Not me ordering a meatball sub. At- eight o'clock at night oh my god so bad (laughs) you did I do that too Um, I live so close to Wawa and yet here I am ordering it to my house (laughs) (laughs) okay so this led police to believe they were caught off guard enjoying a night suit in together they also noted that the Durham's phone line had been ripped out off the wall which coincides with why Virginia would have been suddenly cut off that gave me chills I don't yeah. like that yeah like that part creeped me out like imagine being Troy and you go in and you were on the phone with her and it got cut off and then you see the what phone happened? like ripped off the wall yeah. that's <sighs> very sad and scary the car Bryce had borrowed from the dealership that evening was later found three miles away in a ditch with it they found a pillowcase stuffed with silver from the home <gasps> However, there was still plenty of other valuables left at the home, including a bank deposit bag. This had investigators questioning if robbery really was the motive for the crime or if it had just been covered up. Yeah. So like, I will take some stuff. So they think. Yeah. There was literally a bag of money (laughs) and you're going to take the silver. And they didn't take the silver when they crashed the car. Exactly. They just left it. They Mm -hmm. didn't care. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Suspicious. (laughs) Yeah. So other theories included a revenge or contract killing, but this was hard to prove since the Durham family didn't seem to have any known enemies. The reason people thought it could have been a contract killing was revolved around the military style, quote, (laughs) precision of restraining and strangling the victims with what seemed like little resistance. Eventually four white men were arrested under suspicion of their murders. Two were released almost immediately due to insufficient evidence, and the other two, Jerry Casada and Dean Chandler, were indicted. However, by January 1974, both men were released as well for lack of evidence. I have a question. 
Mm-hmm. Didn't what? Who did she say to Troy was in the other room? They're beaten up by. She said that she was in one room calling Troy for help, and then there was. I think they said three. I think she said three black men in the other room beating up her husband and her son. So they said. the victim said there's three black men beating up my family and then they arrested four white men yeah the the part with i wonder like i know why it's hard this case was hard because like i there wasn't really reasoning for those things because i read multiple websites and i couldn't figure out why they thought these guys could have done it yeah um but they're at one point usually it's the opposite no i know i know yeah. that's what I was, honestly i was surprised because i feel like it could have gone the other way and have been wrong and they yeah. had wrong people um but there was like doubt yeah I have, I have a question too did they ever look at like like the doors and the windows like when they got there because it was snowing really hard so like footprints running away like wet yeah like that so I'm sure that they did I didn't find anything specifically because this case wasn't isn't as big as like a Scott Peterson case but I'm sure that they did but I feel like it was probably hard because of the blizzard so like if it was still snowing by 11 p.m like footprints could have been like covered up in the snow that's true you know I just feel like it it would be way harder for them to get away in a blizzard that they were kind of look for people that are outside yeah blizzard I know and they got there so fast so I'm like how did they get away that quickly yeah Yeah, like everything happened super quick so it's kind of weird that they didn't like just jump on that or if they did maybe they just couldn't find anything I don't know and I'm sure that probably had something to do with like why they theorized that it was like a professional hit because it all happened Mm -hmm. so quickly and they got away so quickly so maybe that's part of the reason why they were thinking it could have been that yeah so boone native okay this is where we get into like a lot of names <laughs> oh no I, there's already a lot <laughs> well there are they're all like interesting names too like cecil this guy's name is rufus okay they're, so it's like it's not like you can it's like brad and chad and yeah like exactly all those no offense to anybody named brad or Tom. <laughs> all the offense strike it from the record <laughs> strike it from the record <laughs> Um, Boone native Rufus Edmiston was a young lawyer on the staff of Senator Sam Irvin at the time of the killings and would soon become famous for the Watergate hearings. As he gained more prominence through these Watergate hearings, Rufus was eventually elected to attorney general in 1974. With his newfound power, he made the Durham case a priority for the State Bureau of Investigation. Over the course of his next 10 years as attorney general, Rufus activated a murder squad and continued to assign agents to the case. Hell yeah, murder squad. I know. I've never heard of a murder squad. That's like really cool though. That's like really cool though. Like for states to have official murder squads when, I mean, that's good for when police don't have enough time with their caseloads. And I'd like to put in my application now. Yeah. Can anybody be part of a murder squad? Like, can we be part of the murder squad? We need to do some research. Yeah. We can start our own. Every podcast episode, we say we're going to do something else. Like, we're going to go find uh, Bryce and go to the Axe Murder House. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll follow through on one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should. 
We're dreaming big here. <laughs> Bryce's Bryce Durham's parents still lived in the area and he wanted to bring them the answers they to who killed their son, daughter-in-law, and grandson. Rufus never believed that Ginny or Troy had anything to do with what happened to their family. He believed that the family was killed by a professional hit. Bobby was an Eagle Scout, young, strong, and athletic. Since it appeared that he and Bryce were held underwater while still alive, he believed it required more than just one person to carry out the murders. Wait, so the official cause of death was drowning? So the official cause of death for Bryce and Bobby was drowning. They were strangled and then they were put in the bathtub. And the cause of death for Virginia was she was strangled. But there was blood splatter on the walls. Did they like hit them and like do other things? Yeah, yeah. I I think I said that earlier is that they, uh, Virginia looked like she got hit in the head and... Was, I think I said the dad, right? Yeah. The dad also had like blunt force trauma. So I'm wondering if like when they came in, they took, they hit the dad first. Yeah. yeah. They started like beating him right away. So they would be easier to. Oof. Right. Oh, yeah. So sad. So when the late Wade Carroll, sheriff at the time of the Durham family's murders was interviewed 10 years later, he stated he believed the phone call to Troy Hall never happened. I'm not totally sure why he thought this, and if he somehow believed that Troy and Jenny were involved or not, but it was unclear in some of the articles I read. And when I did just like Google after I finished writing this, I did see that a lot of opinions people seem to have was that Ginny had the most to gain. So they thought at one point that she had something to do with it hmm. because like he owned the car dealership, like maybe she would get money from like yeah, all the money from that. that or something. Yeah, so, and if and if they didn't have any other enemies, like you always look at like people that are closest, right, to right. the family. So I guess some people like in the area had their own opinions, and mm-hmm. that might have been one of them. However, Charlie Whitman, a former State Bureau of Investigation agent who had been working on the case from the very beginning, said he does believe the phone call happened. Troy and Ginny never wavered from their version of events, and Charlie even took Ginny to someone who put her under hypnosis at one point in which she alluded to a phone call but like wait so there's question if that phone call ever happened that was just the sheriff's opinion like the sh- that sheriff at the time of the murders questioned if it actually happened but yeah, if agents- it was Ginny and, and Troy her boyfriend why would um like they would have to have some alibi for going over there and finding the bodies right right so I don't know if this was just like opinion in the area is that like she had something to do with it and they just like went over there, killed them, went home. I have no yeah. clue. But then I think it would have been hard to explain like why Cecil was there. Like if people like the timing was just so strict, like the guy said he dropped them off at the dealership at 830. Someone yeah. said they pulled up to the house at nine. So like there wasn't anything, anyone saying they saw them pull up and then leave to go back and get the neighbor and then go back so like I think it probably just wasn't adding up but people had their opinions which like I totally understand in a small town people are gonna have opinions yeah yeah I don't know like that phone call though that could easily be proved by pulling phone records though like how did they have that in the 70s I don't know oh yeah that's the thing I don't know I don't think they must not have if people were 
request like the own sh- the sheriffs were questioning it and stuff so like maybe not yeah mm, that's a good point and like because of the snowstorm um True. at one point i know like one article i read because of the snowstorm Ginny and troy lost power at one point so i don't know if maybe that the power outages in the area could have been hard to track too yeah phone calls hmm. so for years the sheriff's office and the SBI ran fingerprint searches periodically to see if they could find a match to any fingerprints in the home. Many of the primary investigators have since passed away and moved on with their lives. However, the cold case always remained of special interest to the police and community. Wild theories began to develop over the years about what truly happened to the Durham family. One such theory was that Bryce had revealed the ringleaders of a car dealership scam in a neighboring county that involved rolling back the miles on cars before selling them to unknowing customers. Oh. Just like Danny DeVito. And I was Matilda. just going to say that was in Matilda. <laughs> yes. And it was a lot less scary in Matilda. Yeah. <laughs> Another theory was that the Green Beret in the area had something to do with it since they were performing a skiing demonstration near the same area where Bryce's Rotary Club meeting was being held. However, this also turned out to be a dead end. Troy and Jenny moved to another county not long after the murders. They divorced in 1976. Troy became an attorney and owns a construction company in Georgia. Jenny remarried and moved to Washington State with her new husband. The case has just passed the 50-year mark, and no suspects have ever been officially identified until last week. Huh. I would just like to say Troy went from living in a trailer to being an attorney and owning a construction company. Tell me your ways. (laughs) Yeah, he needs to he needs to start a podcast to help us out. Yeah, self-help podcast. Yeah. Damn. So in 2019, a man named Shane Burt entered his local county sheriff's department with some information. Shane had always been close with his father, who had been incarcerated. During one of these visits, his father confided in him about, quote, killing three people in North Carolina mountains during a heavy snowstorm, remembering that they almost got caught, caught, unquote. Immediately, the station contacted the sheriff's office in the area. Shane stated he wanted the truth to come out about his father, who died by suicide at the age of 79. Wow. He said that if he could apologize to all of his father's victims, he would. He knew his father was an evil man who killed dozens of people and just wanted to try and provide closure to those still left behind. Oh. So the sheriff's office immediately began to investigate new leads and people connected to Shane's father, Billy Sunday Burt. They conducted interviews with one such man, Billy Wayne Davis, on three separate occasions over the past three years. These interviews ultimately led police to the conclusion they had been searching for. Billy said that Billy Sunday Burt, Bobby Jean Gaddis, and Charles David Reed entered the home in Boone, North Carolina 50 years ago. Although Billy did admit to playing a role in the murders, he insisted he was only the getaway driver. All four men were loosely affiliated to the Dixie Mafia, a criminal organization based in Mississippi. The sheriff's office did conclude that the foursome were hired for a hit, but couldn't conclude who ordered it and why. Ah, 
I would like to ask their ethnicity. They're all, I think they're all white. Oh. Yeah. So I don't know what that's about either. Like if they like I mean, they had could have been wearing masks or like, you know. Yeah. They could have been wearing masks. They could have told Virginia to call and lie to like lead yeah. police in a different direction. Yeah. I don't know. So Billy Wayne Davis is currently locked up in Augusta State Medical Prison for a murder committed in 1971. Wow. I'm pretty sure I read online that he's 82. Whoa. So investigators now believe that after 50 years without answers that they have solved the case. The sheriff's office met with the remaining members of the Durham family, including their last surviving member, Ginny. Ginny, who is now close to 70 years old, according to my math skills, I could be wrong, <laughs> said, I would like to thank all of the people who worked for decades on my family's case. I know that they sacrificed many days and weekends in order to work on solving this case since 1972. And that's the solved case of the Durham family murders. Wow. Mm. I had never heard of that one. Really? Mm, yeah. yeah. I would like to tell you who my favorite person in that story was. Tell Shane. Me. Shane. Yes, it absolutely. Is, I have told some of my family members, do not com- commit a crime because I will rat you out. I love yeah. when they're like, I don't care. My dad was bad. I'm going to tell them what, yeah. I mean, it would have been better if he did it while his dad was alive, but he right. got there eventually. I just thought yeah. it was so nice too, that he was like, I just want to give these people closure. Like any, like he wants to like write his dad's wrongs too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know how long like the time period was between his dad dying and him going to the police was, but I can't imagine it was easy you know, yeah. like, cause you grow up with this person your whole life and you love them in your own light. Yeah. And then you find that out. It's hard. I'm sure it was hard for him to even consider talking right. to the police when he was alive. I mean, personally, I, I would do it, but yeah, I'm also not normal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was good. I had never heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that we don't know who ordered the hit though yeah yeah it just happened so long ago like and like I did say they were like loosely affiliated to that gang that like mafia or whatever but like it could have just had nothing to do with them either like I really don't know but it was definitely the Danny DeVito people turning back it was Danny DeVito himself yeah (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say it's it's probably something to do with the car dealership yeah yeah, that's what I was thinking too. And because if it wasn't like a totally random thing and there was a specific reason, like it sounded professional, like it was very, like they had a method to why, how they did it and why, and yeah. then they didn't even take anything. Oh boy. I really yeah. don't like that. I don't like when um, they find the home like left and you can tell what they were doing. Like, eating chicken and drinking soda like when the table's made it just makes it it's obviously it's sad right but it just like makes it like you really never know what the last thing you do is going to be and I think that's why this one freaked me out like it is just like there's so many details where you're just like oh I was like eating a Kit Kat and this guy broke into my house you know like you just never know what could happen and then when you know 50 years later when someone's making a podcast about your murder everyone's gonna know that the last thing you did was eat a kit kat right i mean at least i ate a kit kat yeah <laughs> yeah not the 
the, the baked chicken. Baked chicken. Maybe it was good. It could have been good. They told hope, us I to hope, wash it down. I hope, I hope they have mashed potatoes good. or something with it. Mm. Oh, that's so sad, though. I'm upset. Yeah, but at least uh, it's solved. We don't, we don't have right. to die. We don't have to die to figure out what happened. Yeah, right. I think it's crazy that it's was able to get solved 50 years later, and that's probably that's why insane. it's so hard to like get further answers because a lot of people are dead. The other three guys are have passed away. So yeah, yeah. Ugh. So much cool. time has passed, but at least at least Jenny has some closure, yeah. right? And, yeah, and her name cleared like all those towns right. that like thought it was her. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Well, are you ready to go next week, Sarah? No, I have no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm so mad because the other day I was like working on a proof. I was like, you know, just doing my thing. And I, I was like, I remember thinking, oh my God, that would be such a good case to do. And I didn't write it down and nothing. And then I tried to think of it later and I cannot remember what case I thought of. When that happens, I put their name into Google and leave the tab open. So I go back and look. That's, you know, a, the, what a smart person would do. <laughs> I made like a, a note, like a note in my notes app about it. Yeah, I have a, I have a list, but like right now, none of them are speaking to me. Mm. And it's also hard, too, because you don't want to always cover like really popular cases. But yeah. a lot of the ones that people don't really know about, there's like no information on. Yeah. So it's hard. Bye. 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 Resources for this episode include the Charlotte Observer, lawandcrime.com, the Winston-Salem Journal, the New York Times, otagademocrat.com, horrorhistory.net, and wikipedia.com. Desk chair.